0: Life turns can burn real deep, all my scars will show that emotion bleeds. So is death just a place that we go when we die, and is life just a test only meant for the wise? Oh no, daddy do
1: oh. Hi there everyone, and welcome to Straight From The Source, the podcast from APSU, the Association of Participating Service Users. I'm your host, Emma Rafferty. In these podcasts we're going to hear from people whose lives have been impacted by drugs and alcohol, and from others who work in the field. Thank you so much for joining us. Just a warning before we get into the interview that this episode contains content which may be distressing for some individuals. It discusses gambling and substance addiction and general emotional content. If you would like to speak to someone about gambling in Australia, you can call 1-800-858-858. Alternatively, you can call Lifeline anytime for crisis support on 13 11 14. This is part two of a two part interview. So make sure you've listened to part one first. Okay, so you're trying not to smoke. Would you get that, you know, like agitation and kind of like, oh, I feel yuck, you know, I don't feel that great, like mentally or physically? And then you'd go and gamble. And even if you were winning or losing, you'd be like, oh, that feels better. Like I have a release now.
0: Yeah. So I'll just be like, oh, yes, I don't have to. It'd be almost like I could breathe. Like, you know how you say the physical withdrawals, it's like, oh, and you sort of need something. It was like, yeah. sort of, no, I'm, just, I'm here, I don't have to think of anything else, I can just continue to gamble, gamble, gamble. Wow. And I'm okay. That's so interesting.
1: And your family at this point, were you in contact with them or not?
0: Uh, very rarely. So I'd almost be asking for assistance. The only time I would call, like, I need some money or something's wrong yeah. or I'd be spitting stories of saying, oh, yeah, um, our car tyres got stolen and we need some money.
1: So you'd really rebelled against that, like that pressure to compare yourself to your brother and your parents' expectations and everything. You'd just kind of gone, F that, really. I was so
0: ashamed. So I was like, well, how can I actually present myself? Of look, you know, comparing now, like I semi had a career path. I was looking promising and now I've just dropped, I don't even want to show my face.
1: So, so was, when you did contact them trying to get money, did the shame make it hard to do that? Like, how did you do that when you were kind of like, oh, I don't want them to see me. I feel really, you know, shit about where I'm at. But then you'd reach out and also ask them for
0: money. How did you do that? I played victim. Poor me. Poor me. This is happening in all, you know, just story upon story upon story. And did you
1: convince yourself
0: at the time as well? Yeah. Yeah. You just... You you justify so much in your mind. It's like, okay, how am I going to how am I going to tell this story? Yeah. How am I going to tell it so that it'll be believed, and then you believe, and it's like, yeah, of course that yes, that's how the story goes. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and then yes, that's the story. So that's what you're going to tell.
1: Yeah. Okay, so you were wanting to go home, like you were feeling really far away. So how long did did this stage kind of last for? When was it? So I stayed time? in
0: Sydney for probably nine months, and then came back to Melbourne. Because there was an opportunity for me for some work overseas in Hong Kong. Again, sort of sent me running away from... Like, the issue of me running away from stealing somebody's money was already there. Yeah. So I thought, well, it's best if I, yes, go back and then go overseas. Again, running away from the problems. Yeah. So I thought, yes, this will be right. Got away, got to Hong Kong and couldn't get a job. And then that was just a little... Bit of a headache, and then eventually I got a, I got a job there because I was going to go and teach English, but we couldn't get um, a visa and things like that to actually do it. And then I got a job to ride horses again over there.
1: Wow, that's interesting. And well, did you a partner that you were with before go with you? No, she
0: stayed. So that was really hard at that time. Again, another the grieving of a, a relationship. Well, I tried to keep it afloat, but it just didn't happen. Mm. And then I spent time over there, and I was like, "Oh, it's okay because they don't they don't race here every day, so I don't have to gamble here every day. There's no casino here." But then all sort of like 360 degrees. Oh, they have got mahjong games, and they got card games here. And my curiosity got me. Well, I started to do that again, and then getting to know different people in a different environment. Oh, okay, oh, do, do you guys smoke? Oh, you guys smoke too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You get Coke, too. You can Coke. <laughs> oh, great. And then, again, it was that finding that little, you could say, tribe of people that did yeah. things that I enjoyed. And it was like, well, I've run away from one place mm. to another place.
1: It's funny how you can find it almost anywhere, isn't it? Yeah. Like you can seek it out. And so when was the next kind of turning point then?
0: So that, that was pretty bad because it got really hectic in Hong Kong that I started borrowing money off loan sharks in places like Macau. So that was that was really heavy. And again, it was like, what do I do? Do I run away from here and come back? And again, I needed my family to help me out to pay off the debt. Mm. And then in time, it was just like, well, I need to go home. Because I, I, even though I spent six years then, I sort of felt comfortable. I just never felt at home there. I wow, felt like an outsider hard. in a place of origin of my family. Mm. So it was quite hard. And I actually broke my leg The day after I resigned, I had to stay there for the time and then I came back and that was probably the toughest time because I would broken my leg and they said, don't ever ride again. So that form of pleasure and enjoyment had sort of been taken away from me Mm. and I was in a terrible headspace and I was in the hospital with a laptop gambling because I didn't want to constantly think or know that, well, really, what am I going to do now? I can't. I might not even be able to get a job. Yeah. Because that's what I've done in most of my working life. Yeah. So I came back to came back to Melbourne and I was just, I didn't know what to do. And I still had this philosophy, which I manipulated my brother into thinking that I could be a professional gambler. I've got these great techniques and formulas and this, this and that. So again, it was like spinning a story. So I spun him the story and he had this trust and belief in me in a way. So much so that he gave me a credit card and he had a home under my name.
1: And then it all went badly?
0: Well, you gave you gave me access to almost a million dollars.
1: Wow. Did he know that you had a problem?
0: I can't say... Oh, I can't speak on his behalf, but it was pretty evident and pretty, like... <laughs> anybody could sort of see, like, it was almost known that I was, you know, a manic gambler. Like You know, it's just... Nicknames that people would give me like Percy the punter and things like that, <laughs> you know, things like that. And when we'd go out, he would see me use it. So it's not like he didn't know where he was intoned. It was one of those situations, I think it was almost hoping that, well, I need what I need. Sort of he made it maybe in that vision of, well, yeah. I need what I need out of this. But he probably didn't think of, again, the consequences of what may occur.
1: Yeah, and he maybe didn't think it would be that. Maybe he was expecting some consequences, but not that. Yeah, um, not
0: the extreme (laughs) of how far I could really go.
1: So you're back here and you've got a credit card that he's given you. You've got a house that's like his in your name. How long did it take for it to all kind of crumble and for you to use that? Ten days. What?! The house?
0: Gone. Wow. How? So it started, and funnily enough, a trigger came up last night, because I can, and I always story tell this, there was a game of rugby on between the Melbourne Storm and the New Zealand Warriors, and I don't know anything about rugby. Mm. And I just felt like, a, you know, that urge to have a bet. Like, I was sitting at home, it was on the television, and I thought, well, I have to bet on this game to know what the outcome is. And it started off a measly... $500 and because it lost, well, I needed to get that back. And then I started to get into the credit card and that started going as I was chasing. And then all of a sudden, 20 grand was gone. And then I looked into the account and I thought, well, maybe if I can. And I didn't want to tell anybody about it, so I didn't want to go, oh shit, you know, I've lost 20 grand. <laughs> so I was just like, well, I can get. So my philosophy was, I can get that back. So I looked into the account and then I just started transferring money. Into betting accounts. So I was slowly, okay, we'll just we'll take you know, a little bit. So it doesn't look, just in case anybody looks to check the account, there won't be anything missing.
1: What's a little bit? 5000 to start off with, out of that. So this money is in a house account or something? So it would have been
0: a mortgage. So it's under a mortgage. So it was because I had access to it and I had the passwords and things like that, that was the trust that my brother had in me. So I had access to every the that whole amount of money. So you had all that money in an account under my name. And I just thought, well, it's under my name, this is sort of mine. So I have access to it. So well a little bit here or there isn't gonna hurt too much. And what was the total amount that was in the account? It would have been about oh, I can't recall exactly, but close to eight hundred thousand.
1: Wow. And Okay, so you started transferring out. So first the credit card, how much was the credit card? 20 grand. Okay, so then that was gone and you weren't thinking, oh no, that's gone and now I'm going to use all this. You were thinking, it's fine, I just need to take a bit more and I'll cover all of this and no one will know. Correct. And then you started pulling a bit out and a bit out and a bit out. How did you get to 800,000 in 10 days?
0: Because it was just, I had belief that I'd get it back. Even when it got to the dribbles and drabbles of, think about that humongous amount of 800000 And then there was another two hundred and fifty on top of that because I overheard my brother talking about some deal that he was going to get someone to transfer money into that account. Like that's how sneaky I was getting to. I overheard a conversation, even though I was in this pits of, I'd lost the, probably 80% of it by then and thought, where am I going to get it back? And then I overheard a telephone conversation. And said, okay, then I've still got another chance. think it was a few days down the line so it gave me more confidence of what sort of what was left to maybe possibly get that all back.
1: And was there any point where you started to go what if I don't get it back?
0: When I hit zero was when the reality hit. When it was totally utterly gone I just thought shit how am I going to explain this now? What did it feel like? Absolute emptiness. Everything felt like it stopped. And I was in utter shock. I remember I was walking around and around in circles in the city, just totally and utterly spaced out and going, what do I do here? What do I do here?
1: What kind of options were running through your mind?
0: the First thing is, first, I always try to spin a story. But I was thinking, how am I going to pull a story out here? Uh, you know, I was thinking, oh, yeah, somebody stole my identity and they got into the <laughs> account and then... They they opened again, you know, all those things were still flying through my mind of how can I get out of this? (laughs) How am I going to try and pull this off? Wow. Of what am I going to do here? And then the reality hit and I, you know, I was walking around and I was driving just in repetitive circles of trying to find the way out. Mm. And then I thought, I can't deal with this. If I tell the truth, I'm going to get exposed and everybody's going to know. And then what do I do?
1: And when you came to the realisation that there was no story and there was no, like, tricky way that you could sneak out of it, what was that like? What were you, were you thinking? Well, I, I just can't face up to it, so, like, I'm going to have to run away again? Like, what kind of conclusion did you reach?
0: It was life or death then. So I was sitting on a balcony on the third floor. I was like, oh, do I jump and just not face the truth and, let, and leave everybody lingering of not knowing? And that was a constant thought. I thought, I, can, I don't want to do this. You know, and that was the running away because there was no other real running away. Yeah. It was either life or death. Yeah. And that was the the tinkering of the mind. It was like, oh no, I've totally screwed this up this time. There is no way out.
1: I think that's how I would feel too. If you had have won that first bet on the rugby game, would you have stopped there, do you think?
0: No. Yeah. No. So the only stop point is zero.
1: So it, so it didn't really matter that you lost. It would have been the same if you had won. Once you started betting and you had access to that much money, it was always going to go like that.
0: It wasn't about winning or losing. It's about buying time to escape. You know, so the more, the more time I, I bought, it was like, oh, okay, good. I don't have to deal with whatever else was going on. Like, I didn't want to deal with the reality. If I'm back here, I've broken my leg. I can't sort of do what I want to do. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Yeah,
1: I think I know that feeling. So what happened?
0: I faced the truth. Because my brother was away. Because I'd actually taken his car and gone missing. Because when, when the money started to get to really low increments, I was like, oh, I can't even talk to anybody. So I just drove around, just parked in parks and just thought, oh, I couldn't sleep. I was thinking, oh, no, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, okay, he's due back today. I'm just going to tell him what happened. You know, and I can just remember that my heart just pumping as I heard the door open and just thinking, oh, what am I going to do? What am I? And still thinking of how I can get out of this. <laughs> can I get out of this? Was still the thinking. And then I just thought, I'm going to tell him. I have to tell him. And whatever comes my way, I have to absorb and understand. And of course, he was in shock. He didn't believe it. And I just said, well, you know, open the
1: computer. So it's just you and him alone, and how did you tell him? What did you say to him?
0: just said, I lost it. He goes, lost what? I've lost it. I have lost what? I couldn't come out, you know, the words just couldn't come out. I could not express what I wanted to say because I was so ashamed and just like, no. And I just felt at that moment almost just wanting to run and jump because I couldn't get it out.
1: Were you crying? Yeah. And what was he doing? I lost,
0: you know. He wasn't quite. Tell me, talk to me, get it out. I want, you know. I had the laptop in my hand, and I just said, you know, look, look at this. And we opened the account, and he was just, oh my god, oh my god, what have you done? Well, you know, he was just like, what's going on? What's going on? And it was just, and my mother was downstairs, and heard us sort of bickering, and came upstairs and goes, what's going on? And he'd just like. He had to sort of leave, because he was like, I don't know how to deal with this right at this moment. So he just sort of jumped into the car and left. And then I had to come to, a, to tell my mother, which I thought was even actually harder. Like, she didn't know anything. So this was a total and bigger shock than anything else I'd ever done, because she knew none of the underlines of even that the house and things were under my name, any of that. And she hit, she hit me for the first time.
1: Did she know that you were a gambler? Well,
0: past instances. She saved me from loan sharks. She saved me from other things. Yeah.
1: Okay, so she knew a little bit, but she didn't know how much you were gambling, and she didn't know that your brother had put you in that position of power, I suppose. And so she just lost it? Did she? She was like yelling, and she hit well, she you. She didn't really lose it.
0: She just went, what? And then just hit me. Like, she'd never, ever touched me throughout my whole life, nor my father. They didn't believe in that. But it was just almost that... Like she slapped you on that face yeah. or something? Yeah, just how? How could you do this? You know, it was like... Because supposedly it looked really good on the outside. Our family, our life was all good because we're living in the one place and everything sort of looked like it stabilised. And then I just destroyed that.
1: And so what what happened after that? Like, how did it piece together? How... Did you stop them? Was that the point? Like, did that kind of force you to get help? What happened? It
0: didn't make me stop. So you think you think something so big of that magnitude would make you sort of second think? Oh, okay, maybe it's time to. But my mind kicked into overdrive again because I had a compensation payout in Hong Kong when I went back in a little bit of time. So I thought maybe I can, maybe I can get that money back. So I got kicked out. Like my brother just said, I don't want to see you get the hell out. But he knew which what psychological state I was in, so he told me to get the fuck out, but don't do anything stupid. Like, think of the rage a person would be in, he still had the sensitivity to say, I'm really pissed off, but I know you're not in a good state either, so don't do anything stupid. And you know, those words stick in my head still to the day. Mm. But that's, it's still very strong, because it's like, well, you should be ripping shreds off me and almost wanting to kill me. But you're still sensitive enough to tell me that I know how you are. Just make sure you settle yourself down and we'll get through this.
1: Did he say that to you? Yeah. Wow. And so that stopped you from doing anything, do you think?
0: Oh, it just gave me that little reminder. So when those, do I do I live or do I die? The suicidal thoughts, when they came, this that voice came up stronger. So I was like, okay, no. Someone that he does care, even though I totally stuffed up, he still loves and cares for you.
1: So if everyone had been like, "Get out of our life. We don't want anything to do with you again," it maybe would have been an easier option. But because like it wasn't all lost, yes, yeah,
0: there was still that string of thread. You know, for what I've done, maybe there is still an opportunity. Mm. Maybe there still is that hope there. Because if everyone had just gone, "Well, get out. We don't ever want to see you again," then I. More than likely than what well, was it? That's enough. Then what else do I have left here in this world or in this life? No one cares. No one loves me. I have nothing. So what was the point when you did stop? So I went back to Hong Kong. Lost the rest of the, the rest of the money that I had. Came back, and a cousin of mine had died. And due to the relationship I had with my father, he sort of pulled me aside and just said, "Well, you're still here. You've got hope." And even though it was just a small little conversation, I don't think we'd had such an intimate couple of words together ever in my life. Mm. And it sort of stuck when I sort of was at the funeral. It was quite confronting, but it was quite transformational in thinking, well, my thought of that process was I'm next because i lost another cousin previously 10 years ago from a drug overdose. And I was like, well, I'm in line to be the next. So it's you take... The chance and opportunity or you just continue what you know you're doing and it, it changed my thinking pattern in a way so I didn't go out and seek help straight away so it was again by chance that things synchronous happened in sync that I was with a friend and was just saying yeah you know having it out about how life sucks and this this and that because he was having a breakup with his partner and things weren't going right that his father walked into the room and started talking about his own gambling addiction and started talking about 12-step programs and things like that and I was like Nah, that's not me I don't need that but he he, he invited me gave me the open invitation he said well this is what I do this is what happens come and be curious and have a look and that sort of rung in my mind for a few days because it was on a Monday I remember and I just thought well I have literally nothing Mm. Nothing left, nothing to lose, Got a cent in my pocket. Everything's basically broken. Why do I not give this a go? Yeah. But again, this the shameful thing and the embarrassment was sort of so challenging because I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk. Who, who are these people? What's it all about? Because I was like, do I go? Do I not go? I was getting on a bus, on and off a bus, literally, because the bus driver was looking at me, going, "What are you doing, son?" I was getting on thinking, I should go. Then I got off, no, 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 I can't do that. Then I got on, and then I got off. It would have been four or five times. And the poor bus driver's look was, you know, who is this person, what's he doing? And then I just thought, no, I've got to commit to this. So I jumped on, sat right up the back, got on and just got to that meeting.
1: And that was when things started to get better?
0: Well, it changed. Even that one instance, I remember sitting in a room and just hearing other people's stories and didn't think that I was the only dickhead in this world that done so many stupid things. Because mm. I always thought that I was the worst. Again, it's that never been good enough thing, so I've done the worst to everybody in my whole family and things like that. That when I heard other people, it was just like, wasn't that, ah, <laughs> you just as bad. It was more like, wow, this is honesty and truth here. Mm. And just hearing that was really powerful. And, and I felt at home there. You know, I felt this sense of, well, a sense of connection with people that I'd never seen in my life. So how
1: long ago was that?
0: That was at the start of 2012, 2013, sorry. About six years ago.
1: So from there to where you are now, what are the kind of the key things that got you to where you are now?
0: Um, just having a look at myself and who I am. I always stand by not using and not gambling was the easy part because I was actually then left alone with who are you and what do you stand for and what do you want to do with your life? What is your reason and what is your purpose? Mm. That took and that takes time. So it's mm. it's not this it just happens overnight. Like I just thought, okay, I'll stop gambling, I'll stop using and automatically life gets great. No, the hard that's when the hard work has to start going in. Because yeah. you're left with like, it's almost that starting again, you're left with emptiness. And tired. had so much time on my hand. I was like, Oh no, and I'm in my head thinking, what am I doing, what am I doing? That I went and got all the support that I needed. You know, 12-step groups, support groups, counsellors, psychologists. I started getting absorbed by using whatever I could. And then I had a great counsellor who, who asked and was interested in me and what I, what I cared for, what I stood for, and what I was passionate about. You know, no, I never thought anyone was interested in me. I was always sceptical. People liked me because maybe I, I had money or I could do things for them. Yeah. So I had no trust. I had no... Those strong bonded relationships where I was really... Could have deep conversations with people. Mm. And then that made me open up in realising who I really was and what I really stood for.
1: And where did three sides of the coin come into it?
0: So I'd done a lot of the therapy that I was talking about and that helped me with my mind and my cognitive behaviour. Mm. But... Internally, I still felt there was, there was something that hadn't quite shifted. So, with Three Sides of the Coin and doing theatre stuff in storytelling, it was different in the dynamic of storytelling like I am with you here. In reenacting it through theatre, it had more of a cathartic and physical response. Yeah. So, the dangers that sometimes people think of that is that it might re trigger and re traumatise. But for me, it helped me really own and take responsibility and accountability for what I've done, but also tell me that that's the transformation from the person that I had been in the past to who I am now and that I'm here to tell the story. It was funny, I always said that I needed to be broken for me to really, really open up some deeper wounds that hadn't been healed. And doing that work, it made me uh, remember a lot of things that I didn't realise and then actually delve into them rather than, again, with a cognitive, I could almost tiptoe my way around and then just not talk about it and divert towards something else mm. whereas it was like no no just sit there and sit with it how are you feeling and express that and go back in that time in that moment and, and was me. there
1: times when you did get really like the emotions were too much again like you couldn't well, sit with it
0: I love I actually enjoyed that because it was like a time for me to actually express because in that time in my life I didn't feel like I could express because I felt so suppressed mm. of being so lonely and um isolated and those feelings really came back but I didn't feel it. like people I you know that re-traumatization I actually in I wouldn't say enjoyed but I liked feeling that feeling and knowing that I could deal with it now. Yeah. Like at that time I maybe not wouldn't have known what to do with it. But being where I am now I could sense it and feel it and it's like oh okay that's how I was feeling. Mm.
1: If someone was listening to this and they really identified with your experience, what is the key message that you would want them to hear?
0: It's just, it's really about personal and self-work and your own self-worth and who you are. I think for me, I've always talked about identity and identity of self and as challenging, as confronting as it can be sometimes, it's to find out who you are. Yeah. And it's exciting as well, even though like we talk a lot about the negative, but there's so much positivity to it.
1: Yeah, I do feel like that as mm.
0: well. And it's a trans. And I say that you can transform your life. You might think it's mundane or however it is, but that hope is there. Like that little thread to be connected is there. It's just sort of latch on to us and be the best you. You know, be the best person you can be.
1: So, what are the key things that you that you have in your life at the moment that keep you in a good place? You know, because it's not so linear as being like this all happened, and now I did all this work, and now it's great. Life is always still messy. So, what are the things that you do to keep you growing now? Well, I still have some
0: low times, so it's not like this. It's all shiny roses. It's it's about expressing. So if I do get into some dark spaces, talk to someone. Like, dancing for me is a thing that gets me... It just That's my real release. It's just, oh, I'm in my own zone. Like, that's my escapism now. Just to get, go and have a good dance, and just express all, you know, whatever it is, positive or negative energy out, out of me. And yeah, it's just really talking. Talking is so good. And finding those right people to talk to... You know, because I I spent a a high majority of my life suppressing and not talking. Yeah. So when you just talk to one person, you connect. It's that form of expression.
1: I usually finish by asking these kind of lighthearted questions that you just have to say the first thing. But before I do that, I just um, just want to quickly ask you, is your relationship with your family, is it kind of healing now? Is it in a better place?
0: It, It is healing. Again, it's still a constant battle. And it has its ups and downs, but from what occurred, we re-evaluated our family dynamic. So there was already underlying issues that weren't exposed because there was a lack of communication yeah. and talk. But when something this dramatic almost happens, everything has to be put on the table. Yeah. So there was a huge shift in dynamic there, and it is a healing process. I feel that they've forgiven me that I still hold a bit on myself about forgiving myself for my part of mm. what I
1: did. Yeah, which is much harder, I think. So is there anything else that you want to say that I haven't covered, that I haven't asked? No,
0: not really. I think it's just believing. I think when you lose that, and I suppose belief goes with the word hope. So when, if you still have that belief and hope, anything can happen. Like, I sit here and I just think, well, five or six years ago, if you said that I would be in this position, doing what I'm doing, I would have laughed at you. Mm. But I suppose that's what I believe in now, that things happen for a reason. Like, it sounds cliche and it sounds all that, you know, what I used to call hippy-dippy and all weirdo stuff, that I truly believe in that now, Mm. that things happen for a reason and then things just fall in place. And just embrace it. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's really helped with my trying to be in control as a person and letting go. Yeah. And empathising like, and understanding people in all different situations now. Because I don't judge people and say, well, why are people reacting like this or that? I'm more curious of what's going on in that person's life to react like that. Was I previously go, why is someone being angry towards them? I don't know what's going on in their life. Mm. So I'm more curious of, and that's helped me build relationships with people. Rather than judge, I'd be more curious of, would you like to open up and talk of what's going on?
1: Yeah. That's really a really beautiful message. So I'll ask you these questions and you just have to say the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? All right, so what is your favorite food?
0: Chips. Hot chips. I'm hungry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What is your spirit animal? Horse. Yeah, I could have guessed that. What's your favorite book?
0: Um, Erkart Toll, Power of Now.
1: What's your favorite TV show?
0: The Simpsons.
1: (laughs) What's your favorite thing to do in your leisure time? Dance. What are you learning about at the moment?
0: Wave meditation.
1: Oh, that's interesting. And finally, what's your favourite quality about yourself?
0: Um, Listening. I think I'm a great listener.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Okay, well, that's us done. Thank you so much. This was an amazing interview. I really appreciate it. Pleasure.
0: Okay. Straight from the source is the voice of the Association of Participating Service Users, or APSU, which is a service of the Self-Help Addiction Resource Centre, or SHARC. Apsu is a Victorian consumer representative body which believes that the voice of the people impacted by drugs and alcohol is important and should be heard. In our podcast, we look at a range of different issues relevant to those impacted by drug and alcohol use from varying perspectives and talk real, honest stories straight from the source. We will have more guests and more stories coming to you monthly. Podcast episodes and further information on Apsu can be accessed through the Apsu webpage, www.apsuonline.org.au, through our Facebook page, ApsuShark, and soon through iTunes and other podcasts. Music is from Jimmy Loops. His Facebook is Big Jimmy Loops and his YouTube is Mr Jimmy Loops. Just a reminder that the views expressed by our guests are not necessarily reflective of absolute and sharp
1: And where do we go? That's the question. Does somebody know if there's any other way if I'm beyond a prayer? Because it's every other day that I'm beyond repair. Oh, no. Daddy, do oh My dearly soul. Body holy, hey Don't know where to go, don't know what be
0: I want redemption